people have associated black dog ownership a lot with dog fighting specifically neglect and abuse when really i think what people are trying to get at is how poverty affects the way we can take care of animals Hello, people with a dog. This is the With a Dog podcast, a podcast for the modern dog parent. I'm your host, Carly, and I interview veterinarians, trainers, products, and some very awesome fellow pet parents about how you can get the most out of life with a dog. As you can probably tell from the title, this episode is a Black dog mom's perspective on the pet industry. I've wanted to do an episode like this for such a long time. But honestly, I didn't even know how to start the conversation, but I knew it needed to be started. So I'm joined by Cassidy and Ginger of Ginger Naps on Instagram. Cassidy was amazing and open, and she shared her lived experience as a Black woman and her foray into the dog community since she adopted Ginger about a year ago. We discuss how there's a concerning lack of Black woman, women and men as leaders in the dog community, the stereotyping and gatekeeping the Black community experiences in relation to pet ownership, and some actions we can all start taking to fix these issues. My main takeaway and mission from this episode is that we all need to start uplifting Black dog parents and Black-owned dog businesses more. So, you know, if you're on Instagram, you have a dog, you have a dog Instagram sharing information from black dog moms and black content creators. And if you're about to buy a bandana or a collar or a leash or get your dog groomed, look for a black owned dog business as well. So those are kind of like, I feel like the first steps and honestly, probably some of the easiest steps that we all can do to make sure that we start addressing some of these problems that we talk about in this episode. And also, I just want to give a big thank you to Cassidy for being so open and sharing her perspective. I could have talked to her all day, but guys, she was she is a badass busy woman, okay? Cassidy is a first-time dog mom. She lives in Philadelphia with her boyfriend and her adorable rescued one-year-old blackmouth cur named Ginger. She is a poet, a social justice advocate, and a PhD candidate at Yale studying African-American studies in English. So I don't think we could get a better perspective on this topic than Cassidy. So I'm I'm just so happy that that she came on. And I hope you guys enjoy the episode as well as take away a lot from it. And then furthermore, after you take it away, I hope we all start making some moves to fix these issues in whatever way that we can. You know, I don't want us to just start a conversation and or have you guys listen to this conversation and then be done with it. And I don't want to just have this conversation and then move on to the next guest. So personally, I'm really trying to make sure that the whole with the dog community is making some moves, supporting and uplifting more black dog moms in the dog community. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's get into it with Cassidy. 
Cassidy. Welcome to the With a Dog podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. I think we're just going to kick it off with just having you introduce yourself and your dog, Ginger, to the listeners. Great. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, This is my second podcast. I am a little bit nervous, but very excited. Um, So I'm Cassidy. I'm 25. I live in Philadelphia with my partner and my dog. I am working on a PhD right now. We're remote, but I'll have to be on campus again in the fall, unfortunately. I am a first-time dog mom. I adopted Ginger from Providence Animal Center in September of 2020, so she is a quarantine puppy. She is a blackmouth cur. She turned one last month, so she's a year and a month, and I'm very excited about it. She's a grown woman, except not. <laughs> um And yeah, that's how I spend my day. I read and write and I take care of my dog. I mean, that sounds great. (laughs) Dog mom life for sure. Yeah. So, so you say you got her last September. Is that Mm -hmm. right? Okay. And is she your, she's your first dog for, you said first time dog mom? She's my first dog. She's not my boyfriend's first dog. Do you guys, did you guys adopt her together or is she Mm -hmm. like yours? Okay. Yes. We made this mutual decision. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of mentioned you're just figuring it all out. Mm -hmm. How has that been? Just like, what have you had to figure out? Or what do you feel like has been hard to figure out this last year with her? Yeah, I think the number one thing that I wasn't expecting that was difficult was paying for all of the stuff that she needs. When we first got her, she was in the vet like every two weeks because we Mm -hmm. switched her food too fast. And so she just had continual diarrhea for the first (laughs) month. Um, Mm -hmm. And we were very concerned. Um, She also has allergies, but she was too young for them to diagnose it as allergies. They said they couldn't give her a diagnosis until she was one. And so she was just sneezy and itchy and there was nothing I could really do to help. Anyways, we racked up vet bills fast and hard. Um, yeah. And I am so now I get why my that. mom didn't get me a dog when I was little. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. That tracks. Yeah. Um, what else have I been figuring out? I've been trying to figure out, I felt a lot of pressure to do everything perfectly according to what the internet said. But there's also a lot of opinions on the internet. So no matter what I was doing, I felt like I was doing it wrong. Um, And that was really stressful. It was taking the fun out of having a dog because I was like, okay, I got to weigh her food so that it's the perfect amount of grams so that she doesn't get obese. And we need to go on three hour long walks every day because she's a puppy, but we can't run because she's under a year. Yeah, there are a lot of rules. Well, rules. That's a lot. Air quotes. Yeah. Um, on the internet about the right way to take care of a dog. But thankfully, I've settled into the fact that I get to decide what's best for my dog, for me and my dog. So we're good now. We have a routine. That's so true. I mean, the especially when you have a puppy, I think, is the need to be like, let's not mess this up you know like (laughs) you're just like i don't okay are they getting enough socialization are Mm -hmm. they are they getting the right nutrients so they'll grow correctly am i spaying or neutering too soon and i'm sure she came probably came spayed from the shelter right yeah but yeah just like all of those things go into it and honestly sometimes that's the reason that i don't like i've never gotten a puppy 
one, because it's a lot of work, as mm-hmm. you just said. But two, I'm just like, I'm going to mess it up. So I'd rather just get a dog that's already messed up <laughs> and deal with that's it. That's <laughs> fair. That is one strategy for sure. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that's like a personality trait of yours to do the perfectionist thing? Or oh, you, absolutely. Do you feel like, yeah. There's okay. no other way to end up in a PhD program at Yale at 22. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I was like, I feel like this may be... Maybe yeah. it's both of those combined. That yeah. is part of who I am. And so she's helping me unlearn a little bit of that. Things don't have to be perfect uh, to be good. Yeah. And we're good. Well, I like that. I think that's a really good learning. You know, things don't have to be perfect to be good. And because mm-hmm. I think that's that's definitely a dog thing that you learn because things are never perfect you know there's always going to be like that one walk that you like run out of poop bags or Mm -hmm. you know as i told you earlier my dog ate an ant trap last (laughs) night and you know it's just like everything was going great until that and now i'm like staring at him like are you okay and it's just like there's always like something to worry about always dogs Mm -hmm. so you it seems like you've done a decent amount of training with ginger as well in this first year, not just like puppy training, but like the canine good citizen. I saw that on your Instagram. How's that been? Working on that now. I can't tell you how it's been for real because we haven't taken any tests or we haven't met with a trainer specifically for this CGC. So we're just kind of going off my judgment and I'm very nervous. (laughs) (laughs) I I signed a lease already. So this doesn't work out by August, then we're in some trouble, I guess. Although, oh, I'm is really... that why you're doing it? Right, is, like, yeah. It, because your apartment complex or whatever yes. like requires it? Mm-hmm. Oh, shoots. Which is the first time I had ever seen or heard of anything like that. But alas. I feel like, I feel like that's a decent, that's a big hoop for people to jump through with yeah. their dog to rent. Very. Especially, yeah. she's just turned one. <laughs> like, yeah. The impulse control that's required for the CGC takes a long time to develop, I feel. But we'll see mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah. Well, good for you for jumping into that and and doing that training. Did you do a lot of training with her like as a puppy in general? She took a class, a six-week class at a different place. Uh, and that was fun. I feel like I wasn't being consistent enough uh, to see all the results I wanted. And I wasn't being consistent enough because she's very well behaved on her own. So Mm -hmm. there are things that um, she knows how to do all of the commands that we were being taught in class. And she does them perfectly while we're in class every time. Um, Mm -hmm. But then because I got so complacent with her just being a good dog when she is expected to perform. I got kind of lazy about reinforcing all of the things that I need to reinforce so that uh, I can be confident that she can do them anywhere, which is what I'm trying to correct now. That's that's a good point. I feel like my dogs, one of my dogs, Albus, will he'll do the commands like when I have food in my hand. Yeah. And then otherwise, he'll just kind of stare at me and be like, mm-hmm. no, thanks. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like, no, I'm just I'm here. I'm chilling. Um, okay, so that kind of covers first year of dog mom life. But in that year, you also started your Instagram with Ginger. And so like, why did you start that? And then how has it evolved since you started? 
I started it because I think she is the cutest dog I've ever seen. And I felt like <laughs> other people across the world deserve to see it as well. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, I immediately had thousands of pictures on my phone and needed something to do with them. So um, I started putting the them on Instagram. Yeah, so many. Yeah, I started putting so them many. on Instagram <laughs> and then people started liking them like strangers which I wasn't expecting because at one point I tried to build an Instagram platform for myself as a human being and no one ever cared. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought I would be talking into the void again, but um, mm-hmm. she is objectively cuter than I am. So I guess it makes <laughs> sense that the internet really took to her. Um, so yeah, it started as a photo album, but then, people started asking me questions about the journey and I am not an expert. So I just was very forthcoming about all the mistakes that I was making, um, which people seem to like. I got in a lot of good conversations, great discourse about what I'm doing wrong and what I'm doing right. Sometimes I got things right, but um, yeah, I just found this little community of people who, we're interested in dog care, interested in my personal dog care and that journey. Um, and it was really nice to have that back and forth and not to bother my mom all the time with the updates about Ginger because there are people on yeah. the internet who want to know. So I don't have to blow up her. Yes. <laughs> I think from what you said at the beginning there, I think there's probably some kind of thing in the, some kind of deeper message about like, the human psyche or something that could probably be taken away of like all of us starting Instagrams for our dogs and our dogs getting more attention than us and then us living like vicariously through their oh yeah cuteness and the attention that they get she like, is a is star and worth- I feel great about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> everyone loves her therefore everyone loves me yeah. right <laughs> yeah um okay so you started the Instagram as you said I think the dog community on Instagram and just in general can be such an amazing place, as you said, to learn and to figure things out and to have some really great discourse with people. But also, as you said, a lot of people can have opinions and a Mm. lot of people can be like, you're doing this wrong. So many. Even when (laughs) you aren't, you know. (laughs) So like, how is... How has that been as far as like your impression of the dog community being a first time dog mom coming into it? Oof. Yeah, that bothered me for like a two week period. I was extremely sensitive to the criticism I was receiving, which all started with an article that I wrote for Tales of Connection that was like, hey, white people, maybe you shouldn't name your dogs after enslaved people because that makes me feel weird. And then yeah. the white people were like, but your dog is named after a slur for red-haired people and i didn't think that was the same same. (laughs) it's not the same (laughs) i didn't think it was the same but i was getting those messages all day about why i'm a bad person and i can't tell white people what to do which fair i can't but i just had a suggestion (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and then the week after i talked about uh, I used the Furminator on her lightly because mm-hmm. she's going through her shedding season. I got some flack for that on in the comments and in my DMs. People are telling me that the Furminator is the wrong tool for her, which I guess 
I guess a professional could tell from the internet, but it was nobody that had ever met me or my dog having Mm -hmm. a very strong opinion about what's best for my dog. And that made me very uncomfortable. Well, especially since it's just like you're brushing her. Right. You're not clipping her nails the wrong way or something that could like not cause drawing her pain blood, or something. Just, yeah. just fur. <laughs> just, just brushing her, trying to like get less fur on your sofa. Right. And, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's coming off already. I was, I didn't have to do very much. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that you said that initial article that you did for Tales of Connection. I read that, loved the article. I'll include it in the show notes for everyone to to read as well. Um, But it seems like a lot of people reacted because it was a conversation about race to a certain extent, you know, and and protecting the black community by not or just actually having respect for the black community by not naming your dog after a slave owner, which I think should be not the owner the slave themselves an all black people named after enslaved person weird yes yeah that's odd um so i think you have a very specific like viewpoint or a unique viewpoint in that you are a black dog mom you are a first-time dog mom and you are getting your PhD partly in African studies. So mm-hmm. you have like a really amazing viewpoint. I would love to hear your thoughts on the dog community from that viewpoint as well, as far as Instagram, pet industry in general, like what you've noticed as you've started your journey with Ginger. Yeah. So because of my lived experience as a black woman and what I study um, it's hard for me to ignore race as a factor in any topic. There's mm-hmm. nothing that I don't think race influences in some way, just because of the way that our society has been built. Uh, so the dog community is not exempt. Dog rearing is not exempt. Um, there's an article that I have coming out soon that talks about the history of African-Americans and dogs and how that has been, it hasn't always been a given. There were laws in some states um, having to do with enslaved people and what they are allowed to own or not own. And oftentimes enslaved people were not allowed to have dogs because uh, this is a quote, property cannot own property. So, um, even that history, <clears throat> sorry, even that history is fraught. It's not just happy-go-lucky dog ownership for Black people, um, and it can't be because of how we started here. Um, yeah. I didn't come in thinking that the dog community is racist. I still don't think the dog community is racist. I do think there has been a lack of conversations that I think need to be had um, that folks have been allowed to ignore because black dog owners, black dog parents don't get enough of the spotlight for people to actually care about what we think a lot of the time. Mm, Okay. So you think, I want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding what you're saying. To be a little bit clearer, I think it's easy to ignore issues of race in a dog community one because everyone's focused on pets and not the people that take care of them and two because uh the people that get really famous for being dog parents are almost never black people 
So the people that are like driving the conversation are almost never black people. And therefore it's easy to ignore the black experience. I completely agree with that. I've worked in the pet industry for 10 years now. And one one thing that stood out to me from the beginning was that it was predominantly female, in my mm-hmm. experience, working. So many of my coworkers were almost always women, um, which in one aspect can be great. But then it also makes you question a little bit of like, why? You know, is it because it's a caring role? Mm-hmm. Like you're taking care of these animals or, you know, like kind of makes you question that. But then definitely something as I've like worked more and especially since I've started this podcast – you're right. Like the top players in the game, more or mm-hmm. less, are predominantly white, right. predominantly women as well. And so those conversations aren't necessarily being had. So how do you think that that's something like, how do we fix that, basically? I think it's going to take people who are already at the top to use their platforms to lift up people that are starting the conversations that need to be had. And what happens a lot for me is I'll have a post that gets picked up and spread really widely and people will DM me saying, thank you, I never thought about this before. And I'm like, great, okay, now what? (laughs) You've shared this post, Mm -hmm. how are you going to continue this conversation among the 100,000 or the million people that are looking to you for answers? Who are you going to bring up um, and pass the mic to? So I think that's the first way okay so i think that's a good takeaway for all the listeners here is just like starting to lift up other dog parents in or black dog parents in the dog community mm-hmm. and drive the conversation forward a little bit more i think what i really noticed um or what i really loved about looking at your page was you have that huge list of yeah. all of the black dog parents or dog parents black owned dog businesses Mm -hmm. in the community and it's a huge list and like i'm like why have i not heard of half these people you know like it honestly like i was just like damn you know when i like when i look for guests and on instagram i'm like searching around like you know the algorithm really tailors it in a certain way and and so i think you having that list so helps other people where they can go and follow or uplift Mm -hmm. or go to these businesses give them like the credence that they deserve um okay so lack of diversity Mm -hmm. on a whole have you do you feel like there's any specific stereotypes about about like a black dog parent at all that either you've experienced or you've just noticed yeah, I think I think there's an expectation that black folks don't know how or don't care to take care of animals, love animals. Um mm. I think people have associated black dog ownership a lot with dog fighting specifically, neglect and abuse. Um when really I think what people are trying to get at is how poverty affects the way we can take care of animals but a lot of the times instead of addressing the poverty issue and giving um, poor pet parents poor black pet parents resources to care for the animals the animals are just taken away 
and given to a nice middle-class white family who we assume already knows better and can do better. Mm. Um, I think black men, especially with pit bulls, both of them are seen as more aggressive by their association with each other. Um, there's an article that I, I wrote about on one of my posts and I can't remember the author's name, but it's called becoming in kind. It's about this. The main concept is about how who we are and who our animals are, are determined by each other or our perceptions, Mm -hmm. the way we are perceived is determined by each other. So the example that I already gave a black man versus a black man with a pit bull is seen as more dangerous. A Mm. pit bull versus a pit bull with a black person is seen as more dangerous. Um, Yeah. I mean, if you think of like, I mean, this, this is terrible, but like you can, I think a lot of people can understand like you see a, white woman with a pit bull on the street in like a sweater you know and there I, mm-hmm. there's like even a comedy sketch about that have you heard that comedy mm-hmm. sketch i can't remember who it was but it was like some person was just being like what they say they were like white women are scary they're they're like they're badass you know you see a pit bull down the street Sounds walking like down Michael the street Jay. and it's yeah something like that it's like just like they're like and he was like oh yeah you see you know a pit bull in the yard, like that's scary. White mm-hmm. woman will take a pit bull home, put a sweater on it, mm-hmm. call it, you know, Debbie or something like that. <laughs> and it's just like I don't remember the exact thing. I'll I'll have to put it in the show notes um mm-hmm. for to give them credit. But yeah, like there is that stereotype. It's not great. <laughs> and yeah. it's perpetuated by rescues, especially pit bull rescues. Um creating these narratives that sometimes just aren't true. And that's in Becoming in Kind as well. And I remember that the author's name is Harlan Weaver. Um, Okay. I'll put that in the show notes, that article. Yeah. So Harlan works with, worked with his rescue. um, And a man comes in with his dog. He has to give up his dog because he can't afford to take, he lost his home. He can't afford to take care of it anymore. And the rescue makes a post that was like, this dog has been discarded like yesterday's trash. That's just mm. not the truth. It, I'm yeah. sure that it makes the pit bull look more sympathetic and therefore I, more likely to be adopted. But it's not the truth. It's not the dog story and it's not the person's story. I used to work at a shelter and um, I personally, like I have never had a problem with someone coming in saying that they would like to return or surrender their dog because one more often than not they either realize that they can't care for the dog or they're you know someone who doesn't value their dog enough that believes that they just oh I'm moving so I got to get rid of it or something like that where you know it like but either way it's just like okay that's fine like thank you for for doing the right thing and bringing mm-hmm. this dog in um I think what you were saying earlier, though, about how the poverty is never addressed. It's just that the dog is just taken. Mm -hmm. And so they don't give anyone in that position the resources to care for their dog. And that's something that I think that I've definitely noticed more as I've become a dog mom and like been in this community more and more is that 
like at the beginning, as you said, like dogs are freaking expensive. All your mm-hmm. vet bills and everything that you had with Ginger at the beginning. I've had tons of bills with my dog, my older dog, Lupin. And it's just like, it's freaking expensive. And and the question is like, why? I mean, I'm not <laughs> saying that veterinarians shouldn't be, um, you know, shouldn't be paid their worth and all of that. But I'm just saying like, damn, like this is hard if you're not in a position to be able to spend tons of money. Like you never ever want to have to choose between like your dog's life because you don't have enough in the bank account or something if there's like an emergency. Like you never want to be in that position and you don't want anyone else to either. And that's where the resources come in. And then you're worried that if you admit that you need help, that someone is going to come take your dog from you because they think you're not a good enough parent. Exactly. I think that just speaks to the wider, like, classism in the pet industry a little bit, I think. Just like, oh, you don't have money for new harnesses and collars every month and bandanas and all of that, much less actual care for the dog. Yeah, what I really notice is, oh, you don't have money for a trainer. You don't have money to spend $100 an hour to teach your dog how to sit. Yeah. You're not a good enough parent. And that's what I'm upset about with this (laughs) requiring the CGC for my lease the most. That's Mm -hmm. another hoop to jump through that can be very expensive. And it seems very blatant to me who that's working to keep out of the building on top of the breed legislation. But yeah. No, that's that's a really good point. Trainers are expensive. Like we just talked about the, the extras and the veterinary care. It's like toss on if your dog maybe does have a behavioral issue that they need to work through. Mm-hmm. that maybe the behavioral issue isn't even that bad, but you need a professional right. help and you're paying a lot of money for that. Again, which I think is good. I do want trainers and vets to get all of the yes. money. <laughs> I would also like poor people to have the money to give them. And well, what do you think those, some of those resources could be, do you think? Like, is it just more stuff online where people can train or is it like subsidized like services or what do you think i think pet food pantries i see more of those popping up and i think we need even more i think um sometimes i will see these low-cost events for dog training or dog socialization but they only take place way out in the suburbs and poor folks that live in inner cities aren't going to be able to have access to them and folks don't want to bring the events there So that's one way to get around it. Just move your event to a central location where people with lower incomes will have access to it. Um, Yeah. And that goes with vet care as well. It was difficult for me to find a vet in my area. One that I felt like respected me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But two was uh, close enough for me to get to because I live downtown. Did you feel, speaking of living downtown... When you adopted Ginger, did you feel like it was a hard process? Like the questions they were asking you, did you feel like you really had to prove yourself? (laughs) I spent a lot of time doing research before I went to pick up Ginger. Um, I have, because I'm so type A, as we've discussed, I had a spreadsheet (laughs) with uh, the shelters, their requirements, their adoption fees, the distance from here, how much the Uber (laughs) and back (laughs) would be for me. Um, and yeah, the ones that had wild questions on their applications, 
or required a fenced yard, I'm automatically ineligible or required a house and not an apartment. Mm -hmm. I'm automatically ineligible. Um, I don't think I had a hard time because there are so many options and I just picked an option that I could find. However, that, that was a privilege to be able to do, to have all of those options and to be able to afford a zip car to drive out and get her, um, because the ones close to me required things that I couldn't offer. I can't buy a house right now. Don't have a fence. Not allowed to put up a fence mm-hmm. in my apartment building. So, yeah. yeah. There's a huge amount of gatekeeping, I think, in shelters and rescues. And, I mean, I, I am planning on having a future episode with this, on this. But, but kind of just, like, the systemic oppression within the pet industry in general. But, like, mm-hmm. also the the fact that adoption advisors, people who work there aren't fully trained and fully aware, looking at everything from all the angles, that they're just asking, you know, they have a sheet in front of them. Do Mm -hmm. you have a yard? No? Okay. You know, and they tally it up at the end and be like, well, (laughs) it's a no. Yeah. And it's just like, what? Like, why? You could have someone who is so, so excited to get a dog, wants that dog forever, Mm -hmm. and is just so ready to care for that dog Mm -hmm. but if they don't have those things on the checklist then they're a no and that is the baffling thing to me yep hurts people and hurts dogs shelters are overrun if there's someone in an Mm -hmm. apartment that wants to love this dog forever you need to give them that dog you just need to give them that dog they're gonna do a great job just give them the dog (laughs) yeah exactly um so um speaking of how did you find me? How did you find Ginger's naps? Um, I think, you know, I think I had heard or seen your account. I think Charlotte with Dogs mm-hmm. shared one of your posts a while ago. And I read it. I liked it. And then I saw your Tales of Connection a little bit later. And that's, I think, when I followed you. And, and like, started reading through more of your posts and stuff. Oh, Plus, you've awesome. got all those great reels. Of Ginger. <laughs> we have fun with the reels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I try Good to balance you. being all serious and, you know, sharing value. But sometimes she's just adorable and people need to see it. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. No, I think that's the right balance. I I am awful at doing reels. I'm just, I don't know. Maybe it's because my dogs are, like, stubborn and lazy and forcing <laughs> them to do something funny is... or maybe I'm just like not very creative. I don't know. But yeah, no, I love I love all of your posts, because I think they are a good mix. As you said, of like sharing things that are important and need to be said, but also fun and still just like about loving your dog. We have a good time being a first time. I'm not just over here thinking about racism all day. (laughs) Sometimes (laughs) we play tuck. Ginger's like, I'm not thinking about racism. I'm just nope. thinking about when my snack is and when I can go to the park. And <laughs> All right. Well, I think that kind of rounds out most of my questions. Thank you so much for being so honest and open with me, Cassidy. You know, this is a conversation that I've really wanted to have for a long time. And I didn't even know how to go about it. So I'm very happy yes, that, that you were, you know, willing to to talk with me about this. Um, is there any last message that you want to get out to anyone about black dog parents and the community dog Instagram, like any, 
anything you want to say to anyone, you know, or anything we didn't touch on, you want to toss out there? I just, you touched on it in the beginning, but I just want to bring back around that there are black pet parents and black pet professionals for everything you're looking for that are doing everything that you want to do. There are trainers, there are groomers all over the place. There are people making bandanas. Um, And feel free to jump over to the link in my bio if you want to find them. I think you should find them. They're doing great work. They just need the platform. Agreed. Patronage. Completely agree. I um, I mean, I'm going to tell everyone right now, you know, as the podcast host, sometimes I can definitely fall into the fall into the pit of getting guests that have tons and tons of followers because I'm trying to grow my platform. Mm-hmm. And I am personally am going to really try to be better about reaching out to guests like from like a huge diverse range. But that's like my kind of mission of like 2021, which I'm really trying to do. So I think if everyone else can do that with me, all the listeners, I think that's something that we can all really do together. Um, Mm -hmm. Speaking of Angela, who is the owner of House Dog, we had her on back in December. She is a black dog mom who makes amazing dog products. So everyone go check out that episode. You can check out her products as well. all right. Well, thank you so much again, Cassidy. For everyone who wants to follow you, check out that list, all of that. Where can they find you? Yes, I'm on Instagram at gingers underscore naps, like ginger snaps, but she sleeps a lot. All right. Perfect. Follow Cassidy. You can find us at With the Dog Podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and our website is withthedogpodcast.com. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Carly. All content on With The Dog Podcast is for informational purposes only and should not replace professional advice, treatment or diagnosis by a certified veterinarian, trainer or behaviorist.